Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blum. If you made it to this episode, that means you have found the new feed for the Trail Effect podcast. Please be sure to share this feed with those who have listened to Trail Effect before or anyone else that may have interest in mountain biking and trails, as this marks the first episode of Trail Effect 2.0. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. For episode 57, we bring you Sean Gregory. Sean is the owner of Big Loop Trails and Maps. Sean is based out of Southwest Colorado, the Cortez Dolores area to be exact. A lot of the trail in that region is there through much of Sean's efforts of mapping and trail building. Sean has a unique perspective on how he's helped the region become what it is today in terms of mountain biking and access. Support for Trail Effect comes from Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Smith's is a full-service bike shop that is a retailer for Trek Bicycle Company and Salsa Cycles. Smith's also has a full line of components and accessories from Bontrager and other various companies. For more information about Smith's Bike Shop, go to www.smithsbikes.com. This podcast is an Evolution Trail Services production. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com. So yeah, so I dug into you a little bit and to kind of figure out what's, you know, you know, what your backstory was. I think some people call that Google stalking. Other people call it research. <laughs> But I was, I was, I was piqued by the, I see no limits, which led me down a different path of your toughy security products and how you were into Jeeps at a pretty young age and all that stuff. So that's, that's all sounds pretty incredible. Thanks. You know, we moved the business here to Southwest Colorado for a lifestyle change and people thought we were crazy because, you know, out of the Denver area, um, metal fabrication facility, uh, moving to the middle of nowhere and, uh, you know, where there's more mountain biking, but, uh, kind of a difficult place to do, uh, to get supplies sometimes. So, uh, so yeah, there was challenges with that, but, you know, we made a decision for lifestyle and, uh, are happy with it. Well, and that's what the common thread here with all this is, is it sounds like you started Tuffy from an incident with stuff getting stolen out of your Jeep. That's right. While mountain biking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had, uh, didn't have a place to lock up anything in the, in the Jeep and uh, just made a little woods with metal covering kind of a box in my living room. And uh, some other guys looked at it and uh, thought, Hey, that's a pretty good idea. And I looked around and nobody's making anything. I saw one, one company making uh, a box that, that was way more expensive than anything I could afford. And I thought most people I knew could afford so uh, um, I just came up with a plan to to hide the radio and uh, also lock it up at the same time. And that's how the business started. Yeah, and I can totally respect that because my first three vehicles were CJs. <laughs> yeah, you get your Jeep and you're like, well, where do I put all this stuff that was in my old vehicle? And <laughs> it's all susceptible. Yeah, soft tops and everything else that just, I mean, you said susceptible, but I guess just out into the open, you almost feel naked, right? Yeah, and if 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 you leave something out, you know, thieves will cut your thousand dollar soft top to try to take a ten dollar item you left on your seat instead of opening the door and grabbing it. Sometimes it's better <laughs> just leave it open. 
Yeah, wait a second. This door doesn't even have locks on it. It's just a little <laughs> lever that flips back and forth. <laughs> yeah. We we had one customer that he was so happy. He there was he showed up to his Jeep and and uh, there's blood all over the inside of the Jeep and like a broken hammer and all this going on and and uh I mean probably a lot more damage than than his what was in his console, but he was just so happy the thief hurt himself and never got anything. And then we had another guy that sent in a uh, a picture that his whole Jeep was burned up. He didn't tell how how it burned up, but uh, but basically what was left in his uh, Tuffy box was survived some CDs and things like that. But yeah, he sh- he shared that with us, and that was cool. That's awesome. Those are good stories. Let's get into your backstory. Yes, let's learn how Sean got into mountain biking, and then eventually led to what we're really going to talk about here, which is trails and trail building and all the stuff that you've done with trails in the Southwest part of the country, essentially. Yeah. So I, I started out like pretty much most kids riding their BMX bike around town and, uh, in the Denver area. And, uh, I got into motorcycle racing, uh, motocross and supercross. And at that time, mountain bikes were kind of emerging and there was people riding them around the pits to get around. And I, I didn't have money. I was busy buying motorcycle parts, but, uh, when I got out of motorcycle riding, I, uh, I decided to get a mountain bike and just explore the foothills outside of Denver and, uh, and, uh, just kind of a way to get away from things. And I, I really liked it. It kind of, you know, the, the motorcycle thing just flowed right into the, the mountain biking aspect and, uh, and for fitness and just, it, I, I thought it was great. I was, I was hooked and, uh, you know, as you get, as anybody, you get on your bike and you just want to ride further and, uh, and get in better shape uh, so you can ride further and ride more gnarly terrain. And there was pretty gnarly terrain outside of, uh, outside of the Denver area on the, on the West side, lots of switchbacks, uh, you know, rocky technical riding. And, uh, you know, at the time I just thought that's the way it was, but fast forward, we moved the company to Southwest Colorado and, um, for a lifestyle choice to, uh, to be, be closer to the mountain bike and be closer to the outdoors. And that, uh, they're really the town we picked. We liked, there was a lot of potential around uh, court, the Cortez Dolores area, but there really wasn't trails. There was a few people kind of right around in the sand and riding on cow trails and wasn't much, uh, available to ride. Uh, when I tell people where I lived, I'd have to say kind of in between Durango and Moab, nobody ever heard of Cortez. And, uh, the uh that kind of led to you know looking around at, at the potential and uh seeing you know it's, it's surrounded by public lands and up in the mountains there there are a lot of trails but they are like old stock trails that go straight up in into the mountains and and uh you can really only ride them down some people can ride them down they're they're pretty burly really technical they can be fun but they they see very little traffic and um so that was our choice for riding along with some little couple of three mile loops that are around uh cortez and dolores and uh i had a couple of different stories of how you know in denver it was one thing to go ride a 15 mile loop when you go up in the mountains here you look at the map you're like oh that's 15 miles well i'll be back before dark uh, in time for dinner. And I had a couple of episodes where we were out there and I was using the little light on my watch to, to see if we're still on the trail. And, 
And that's, that's when I decided to, to get into making some maps for it. I'm saying, well, people need to know where to go. Even the little three-mile trails we had, they, they, people were getting lost all the time, couldn't find them. And, uh, um, and one of them was the original Phil's World. Like, yeah, there was about six inches of good trail width to ride on. If you got outside of that, you just got bogged down in the sand. So I, for a hobby, I started this map making business and, and uh, sold them at the local bike shop. And, and at the time, I was die hard single track, no roads. I, I didn't care if I carried my bike up the whole mountainside. That's what I was going to do. And then you know, I started riding around more and I'm looking around at Crested Butte. Like, yeah, it kind of works to ride up some roads around here and uh, come down the single track. <laughs> so I... Uh, I adjusted my maps to kind of include the roads to get up and, and come down some of these trails that are up in the mountains. And so we, we established some, some good mountain loops doing that, but there still was no single track way to get up in the mountains. And there wasn't hardly any riding just locally. And so that's kind of moved into just getting out there, looking around cow trails and kicking rocks around and and just try to ride back and forth through a meadow to link things up so that uh, so that people could see where to go and, and just kind of started a little trail system that way along with just a handful of other people, other locals. And at the time, if you met somebody on the trail, you knew them. You probably knew them very well. There was no strange faces around. And, and uh, that's just the way, it, the way it was around uh, Cortez and Dolores until we really started establishing uh, uh going after officially built proposed trails. Yeah. And you have a local that's pretty, uh, pretty famous. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yeah. John Tomac. Yeah. He's uh in fact, I went over to his house not too long ago because he wanted to show me some, uh, he's got like 600 acres and, uh, he was showing me some stuff he was wanting to build and he had a, like a D nine, do- not a D nine, but a big dozer <laughs> that he happened to have for his motorcycle track for his kid. And, uh, and he was out there cutting in the hillside with this huge thing. And, and uh, he had all these plans and he was really excited about it. It was cool to see. Yeah, he's probably having flashbacks to the uh, Kamikaze downhill back in the mid 90s. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what his intentions were, because he had these pretty big kind of roadish uphills. And then he was telling me about how he's going to do this other single track stuff over on the side. That was gonna, I think it was going to be a gnarly downhill and then come back up to the up on another road that he had built. And he, I mean, he also intended these, these, uh, accesses, uh, to get around his property to kind of mend, mend fences and things like that. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's a cool guy. Uh, you'll, you'll appreciate, uh, this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is an autographed postcard of Tomac probably would have been, I don't know. That's when he had Tomac bikes. I don't know if there's a date on this, but I'm guessing it would have been in the late nineties, probably 99, 98, 99 timeframe. Yeah. He, he moved down in a, a pretty cool area just by Cortez. People don't really know about it. It looks so like, like Moab. That's really one of the ways that the Swicka, the bike club got started. And uh, it was one of the monuments. Well, it was a sand Canyon. It was kind of a, you know, a user-made trail system with an official trail that mountain bikers were involved in. And it's our one place to really reliably go ride in the wintertime. And it's a really cool technical trail system like Moab. And there's an arch in there. There's a balancing rock. There's, there's all these, and there's a little but slick rock section that we call mini Moab. But uh, when that got made a monument, it, there was the way the, mon- the wording in the 
the monument wording was, was that uh, uh, bikes could not be on anything besides roads. And this is all single track. And at the time, it's, it's really one of our only single track and wintertime riding areas. So we were about to lose it, really. And the bike and people got together, formed the bike club, and uh, we, we fought it and we still have it. So uh, uh, it, that, was, uh, that was kind of the first success and the reason why the local bike club, Southwest Colorado Cycling Association, was established. Yeah, let's get into that because chronologically, that I'm assuming was started before Big Loop, correct? Yeah, that basically people got together to save the Sand Canyon Trail to biking. And uh, just a little side story on that. There was when they when the monument got got uh, established, there, there was a lot of uh, you know, basically angry people and meetings and all kinds of things going on about that. And and the public lands office was bringing in specialists to try to try to ease the tension. And um, the uh, I remember going to one of those meetings and there was a lady that worked for the public lands office that and she did not like the trails she did not like mountain bikers every time she said something it was about out of control trails and all that so fast forward 10 years from there i'm out on the trails and i see her hiking on the the exact trail that she was upset about and uh um so just a a funny story there was there uh did you still have any interaction with her at all? Because we, I, I think every trail community that started at a pretty, and I'm going to say young age in terms of in the 80s and 90s, you know, before what we have going on today, I think every every trail community has those people, correct? Yes. Yeah, we had an abundance of them. And, and there were really at that time, I mean, there wasn't support for mountain biking from anywhere in the community except for the few guys that did it. And there was another guy, Jimbo, that... uh that had moved uh, from Alabama and started a bike shop. And I mean, him and his buddy were living in the back of the bike shop when they started. And uh, yeah, that was it. If, if, uh, if you, like I said, if you saw somebody out on the trail, you knew them and uh, there was just a handful of people. So, you know, we had these Phil, which is Phil's world. Phil, he was just a guy that kind of went around riding in the sand and, and we ended up kind of with a fair amount of problems from his original trail because he didn't, there's no fences and it, it went across all this private property that we had to end up addressing later. But, um, but you know, Phil, if he, he looked to this particular area and it was right by town and, uh, and it turned out to be the Phil's world that's out there now, which is, um, it's a unique terrain. It's, it's kind of like just perfect for riding kind of a roller coaster type trail. And, uh, and there's a there's a long time race that's been established so that my wife was actually the uh, uh, started that um, she was a race director for a long time and still is is with some other people and it's the 12 hours of Mesa Verde. I think that that's one of the things that really brought the tail, trail system to the limelight. And um, it's interesting because a 12 hour effort out at that trail when you look out over at Phil's World it kind of looks you know, a little flattish. You see the see the little buttes and you see rocks and um but it but it's not like a giant mountain you're climbing but in a typical 12 hour race effort you it, the elevation almost rivals the Leadville 100 and just because of all the little ups and downs and and it ends up crushing tough people cuz they just they go out there they're having fun it's really a fun trail but uh all those little g outs and and uh just 
that little efforts in the rocks and, and uh, it just, it wears on people. So yeah, I've seen some tough people get crushed in that race, but um, it, so that's, that, that fill, the 12 hours of Mesa Verde has really uh, brought that trail out into the, the public eye. And that was also what brought it into the eye of like our County commissioners who, you know, they, they had, they didn't even consider mountain biking and and they started seeing more and more people at the parking lot. They started seeing how many people were coming to the 12 hours of Mesa Verde race, which since its inception, it's raised over half a million dollars and which there's no employees. It's, it's gone a hundred percent back into youth kid programs in the community. So that really caught their eye. And that was a huge part of getting our trail expansion, uh, which we proposed for both Boggy Draw and Phil's World. They, they got behind it. And uh, I mean, it was amazing because the previous guys were kind of knew some people biked, but didn't at all get involved. And another little side story with that, my wife went to the race is hosted out of the fairgrounds, which is across the street. And it's a, it's a perfect venue. It works out great. There's a little culvert to go underneath that the race uh, goes on. And uh, so my wife goes to the uh, the county commissioner meeting and is telling them all about Phil's world and describing how much fun it is. And they're like, and one of the guys was like, wow, I'm going to check this out. And he goes and buys a mountain bike and go, and he's a diehard mountain biker. <laughs> and he was really an integral part of getting our trail expansion done having that support he would come to meetings and uh it, it it really played a big part yeah so let's talk a little bit more about uh the southwest 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 colorado cycling association and i believe it had a different name before that right it was cocapelli or something yeah like cocapelli bike club i guess for no better reason we just decided to name it that because it's the bike shop and uh we love the guys at the bike shop but after a while you're like maybe it's not the best thing to have same name as the bike shop because there's some there's some wires that might get crossed with people understanding that one's a nonprofit and one's not. So uh so and 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 also it was it's funny because Bill Manning who's who he started Trails 2000 in Durango and he's also now on the the Colorado Trail the head of the Colorado Trail uh, Association but he advised us to not get too tied to any one bike shop with a name. And what do we do? We, go, <laughs> we named it after the bike shop. So, so we ended up having to change that. And, uh, and we wanted to be, you know, we kind of went back and, back and forth on some organizations we were seeing were like, you know, they were, what should, should you be a bike club or should you be a trails club? And we're all mountain bikers and everybody who's volunteering is bikers. And we're like, well, that's what we're all about. So let's do that. And, uh, so that's why we went with the cycling name and that was the theme of our, our organization. Yeah. I like that. Cause you do see, especially lately clubs have been kind of going back to, or going to just a trails club. And I totally appreciate that personally, but the reality is, as we all know, most of the people that are doing the work if not all the people that are doing the work are mountain bikers. And I think, you know, we're kind of selling ourselves short when we don't put mountain bike in the name. You know, but for some organizations in some communities, that's just the way it has to be because of different, different opposition or, or whatever, you know, so I get it, but I really, I personally really push on, on selling mountain biking and pushing the whole mountain bike thing and that everyone else comes along with it. You know, it's not exclusive, but we're doing it. Yeah. Well, and there's, like I said, there was a lot of trails around here 
they really weren't that great for mountain biking. So there was a lot of places for all the user groups to go. Uh, just it wasn't that great for mountain biking. So our focus was to try to make Phil's World and Boggy Draw a great place to mountain bike. And and so we went with the mountain bike specific organization. And I, I think it's really helped us. At one time, we were almost going to combine with the Durango trails. And then that's when we started getting the local attention from the county commissioners and the city. And we're like, well, you know, they're you know, they're kind of a competing town, I guess. And and we have pride being over here. So yeah, we better, we better stick with uh, and, and stick locally here in Cortez. And since then, you know, there, now we have a lot of trails to, to maintenance and, and a lot of miles to, that we've built. Um, so there's been some other organizations that have popped out or uh, up around, which were kind of, I guess, a little bit in the turf, but uh, we weren't really able to, to, um, take care of that area anyway. So it's been great. And we work together with them. An example is a Mancus is a nearby town and a Mancus trails group popped up and they just got two uh, trail systems approved. And um, another one was a Rico trails Alliance, which is a little bit more up in the mountains. And they just got a trail system approved or it's new trails approved as well. And uh, so both of those areas, the same volunteers for our uh, Southwest Colorado cycling association, go out to their events too and, and help out there. And uh, so we just all kind of work together to make it a better place. And, uh, and, uh, and our this SWCCA focuses on uh, Cortez and Dolores mountain bike trails. One of the things that caught my eye with you specifically is you've, you've competed at a lot of mountain bike events and you've done a lot of mountain bike races. And then as we started talking in the beginning, you're also a business owner. And then you're a volunteer. And so I think one of the things that I personally struggle with it is that balance. Like, how did you find that balance to be able to, you know, keep up on fitness, scratch that itch of riding, run your business and still be, you know, productive in the trails world from a, you know, a building and maintenance perspective? Yeah. So as a business owner, I think it's important for everybody to have a release of some type. I mean, whether it's golf or tennis or whatever. I think mountain biking is the greatest thing ever. And that's what I chose. And uh, so, uh, you know, I I like to ride a lot of miles, so it takes up a lot of time. So that's a challenge. Um, But, uh, but it really, I think it makes, made me a better, um, better at my job, my business um, by taking that time. And, you know, I think about all kinds of things while you're out riding your mountain bike, working through just maybe different problems and gives you time to think about things. And, and, uh, you know, you're out there and you're not really tied to having to go right or left at that intersection. It's like, what do I feel like doing today? I'll go this way. And, uh, and moving the business down to a rural area with a lot of mountain biking options, you know, I didn't have to drive for half an hour to go to the local trail system. I could go out my door, go on the, on the way, uh, home from work and, and, Around here, you can ride for six hours without seeing anybody. I, I pretty much head to the high country in the summertime, and uh, it's it's just a great release and a great place to uh, to do it. And it's difficult in the city when there's there's a ton of traffic on the trails, and you just kind of quite get away from people sometimes. Yeah. So what came next was did you have Big Loop? Big Loop came after the mapping, obviously, but with that, you also had your Tuffy products. Were you were those going on at the same time, or Tuffy Security? Yeah, the Big Loop maps was that was just a hobby business that I had, and I was making maps. Nobody, nobody did, and uh, the bike shop was selling them, so everybody wasn't running around lost. Another kind of 
angle with that was, you know, there's, there's the school of thought that I want to keep all my trails secret and not have anybody else here. But when you're as rural as we are, like traffic is, is makes the trail a lot nicer and we weren't getting enough traffic. And, uh, and plus people were going the wrong way and following the wrong cow trail, you know, so, so everybody's out getting lost. And so the, the map was something that I thought was a necessity for the area. And, um, so I did that and it was just a out of control hobby, uh, going while I had the, the business. Eventually I, and I sold the business, which was been about three or four years now. And it was perfect timing to, uh, with the, we just, after 15 years of waiting for the trail proposals to get approved, they both came through at the same time. And it's not, not because, because of our local guys here. It's just, there was a lot of things they had. The, the forest was, uh, the national forest was, um, kind of a free for all area where there was, where you could kind of go anywhere, which led to where, how our trails got developed they had to um, uh, define the system trails and approve that what was out there. And, and at the time, the agency, the BLM and the national forest service was the same recreational person. So they had a lot on their plate and they had a lot of mandates of things they had to do to. um, So that just pushed our trails project off for years. And the other thing is we're our volunteers. We're more of a muscle organization, not a, writing grants, you know, letters for grants and all that, that. So we, uh, you know, we, I guess we were patient and, uh, we had our, our trails that we had established and we were able to ride them, but they weren't, they weren't enough for somebody to come stay the night. They were, they were great for the locals, but there wasn't that many miles. So one of the aims of getting this new, uh, uh, getting the trails approved and the proposing was to have enough riding for somebody who want to stay overnight. Phil's was getting well known, but everybody stopped over at it on the way to Durango or on the way to Moab. And maybe they bought some hamburgers, um, but there wasn't much keeping them overnight. And so that was another angle to, to pump some uh, money into the economy by having enough uh, trails for, uh, for people to stay the night. And now they're, they're staying more than one night. I mean, we've expanded Phil's world to be uh, it's around 60 miles ish and uh boggy draw to 70 miles around 70 miles. And then we have all the mountain riding, which is really shaped up pretty well. So I mean, yeah, we've become a destination, but we don't have the kind of the epic crowds of tourism right now, which, which is nice. So it's, it's great to have all the trails, but they're not too crowded. Um, I think there's a lot of people that are wanting it to stay that way and, and not wanting it. So they like the money coming in for their, for their businesses, but, but not too many people. (laughs) Yeah. That can definitely be a blessing and a curse when it comes to, to bringing more people into your community. You know, we've seen that in other communities across the country where their trail system blew up and their infrastructure within town from a public transportation perspective, you know, roads and whatnot, or even places the state just couldn't handle the numbers. Yeah, I was just in Moab the day before yesterday, went over there for a ride. And there's just every time I go there, there's a new hotel. Of course, there's lots of new trails, but uh, there is a lot of people there. And I think they have a unique with the arches and just the people passing through and a stopover. There's just 
so many different, it's not just an outdoor town. When you look around, there's a, there's a ton of people, families passing. So, so they have a lot more people coming in there for a lot of different reasons where we have Mesa Verde, but, uh, but the majority of people come for the outdoor, you know, whether they're out here hiking or biking or whatever, going and visiting the trails or, or uh, uh, just seeing different archaeology uh, sites that are around. Yeah, the the first time I went to Fruta, I think it was around 2009, fall of 2009, and I parked next to a person in the parking lot and and asked them just out of curiosity where they're from, and they're like, "Oh, I'm from Moab." I'm like, "Really?" They're like, yeah, <laughs> we come over here to avoid the crowds. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Well, I hope that doesn't happen here, but uh, I, th- I think there's enough towns around getting new trail systems that uh like uh for example natarita i just heard from and i've i've been commenting on the trail system they have proposed there which is another that's maybe like two hours away there i I, they've either got it approved or about to get approved a whole new trail system there telluride's been working on more trails there they are kind of behind the times compared to other mountain towns on on the trails but uh they're getting more trails you know, our neighboring towns, Mancus and Rico, are getting trails improved or new trails. But Durango, of course, has a lot of trails. Farmington's working on their trails. These are all ones that are real close by. And uh, so I, I think there's another, uh, there's a lot of options for people to to uh, to go to. And, and it's, Moab doesn't seem like uh, there's a shortage of people coming there to, uh, to bike. And uh, so I don't think they're missing out too much. Yeah, no kidding. So with this, when we were exchanging emails prior to us getting on this, this, uh, I guess I call it a virtual interview, <laughs> you had mentioned, you'd talked about having some stories and critics and uh, Western style, I guess we'll call it a dispute. Yeah. But yeah, let's dig into some of that because you made it, you know, see, every time I exchange an email with you, you like unearth some new stuff to talk about. And that was <laughs> definitely one thing that really piqued my interest. I guess I have a unique situation, maybe a unique situation where I've been involved with the process from the beginning. I wrote the proposal for the expansions. I've been working side by side. Our our public land guys are great. They happen to be mountain bikers. And uh, they, uh, like especially our BLM guy, I mean, he went out and visited with each homeowner surrounding Phil's world. I mean, over and above. And uh, really got involved in this and seeing how big of a process it was for them to go through. They do a lot of work. And, and if they do a lot of work, we'll get we'll get new trails approved. And, and so it's a lot of work for them to uh, to take that on. And our guys, we're lucky enough to have our, our local guys do that. But uh, anyway, going through the whole process of these uh, trail proposals, we've had a we've had a variety of different things, strange thing ha- things happen with uh, mostly neighbors. but. Uh, one of my favorite stories is we were out, uh, we, we wanted to put the rollover gates because we have a lot of different grazing allotments um, through Boggy Draw. And right now, if you went through that 70 miles of trail without any rollover gates, you'd have to open or close 20, 30 gates to get the loops done. So we wanted to put these rollover gates in, and uh, which you see around in the West anyway. And we kind of just modeled them after what we saw. So, and then I had a middle fabrication business, so I just made them and we went and installed them. And, um, you know, anything new with the ranchers, it's always, they're, uh, 
they're always skeptical. So we were, anytime a cow got out, we were getting blamed for it. And there was this one particular rancher that, I mean, he was, he was, we were all but shooting at each other over the fence. I mean, he, he was piling rocks as high as you could get on the gate. So you couldn't get through it. I mean, we were, and, and we were trying to work with them through the forest service officer, like, well, you know, they're not long enough. Okay. So we built these extensions on them and went out there and installed them. Oh, there's not a pit underneath. Okay. So we, so we go and we make this pit and we dig it and install these pits underneath these ones. And then they're not yellow. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know cows, you know, I, I'm not a cow expert, but whatever. So it, that actually happened kind of in the middle of it. So we were making the extensions yellow for the, for the ranchers. And, and this one particular rancher, we were just, he was, we were having this big feud with him. And, uh, but eventually he decides to get into mountain biking. And, uh, and he, he, and he, he was, when he was younger, he was actually like a BMX guy or something, but it was, it was a, it was a strange situation. So he, uh, we, we got to be friends and I still see him around. And I saw him at the pub the other night, but, uh, we worked together cause there was some legitimate concerns with, we had one of the gates in a corner where all the cows were kind of getting pushed into the corner and the calves had nowhere to go, but they, they jump over the gate. And so we moved, we together, we moved the gate over, uh, and, and redid, uh, Read it, read, uh, built the trail or rerouted the trail to work with the gate. And I, I was, I thought that was a great story of, of, uh, something like that turning into, uh, a, a friendship and working together with, the the, uh, rancher to get that resolved. And, uh, and I, I asked him recently if he heard about any cows getting out and he hadn't. So, uh, so yeah, I guess we worked past that because we put a lot more gates in there since then. And we're probably on version I don't know, 20 or 30 of the gate <laughs> as we keep improving it. But so we, we had, we've had that with the ranchers we've had with neighbors, especially Phil's world, the Phil's world's expansion was this limited area. And I don't think you could get within a quarter of a mile. You were always within a quarter of a mile of some private property. And uh, so there was, we were, we had meetings and invited the neighbors to come out. And, uh, and I remember one guy was a, uh, Oh, can't you remove the move the trail a little bit away from my house? And I don't even know how he knew it was gonna where it was gonna be. But I'm like, you know, we don't want to see you as much as you don't want to see us. And that was like something groundbreaking for him. He had never considered. I think he thought we wanted to see him in his window brushing his teeth. So that was that was a pretty funny one. And um, I mean, I could go on and on about all these different ones. We have another story about a guy who um, a neighbor that. This was the first one, and he was getting petitions done. A guy, Bob Wright, was out there kind of scouting out where we were going to put some new trails and park down this old road that we had that was open because we had hauled a bunch of garbage out. So this this was like a an ancient garbage dumping ground before the dump, I guess, was around Cortez. And so we thought this was going to be a slam dunk getting this trail in. But um, the neighbor comes over with a bobcat and builds the, a berm up so he can't get his truck out. And then just spends about half an hour yelling at him and him and his kid. The, the neighbor was yelling at my friend and his kid who, was, who were mountain bikers and wouldn't let him out. And finally, he moves the berm and, and lets him out. And so this neighbor, who was so opposed to the bike trail, ends up building an RV park right there. And, and on a separate occasion, I was kind of waiting to get yelled at this guy when I was out on the machine, yelled at by this guy when I was out on the machine building the trail and 
kind of right in the middle of the process of building these trails that were close to his property. He comes over to the 12 Hours of Mesa Verde event, and I kind of recognize his truck. I think that's the guy that hates mountain bikers. And uh, he comes up to me out of all the people, and he has a, a brochure that says, it's about his RV park, and it says, and Phil's World Trail Access is right by, and he's giving me this brochure, and he goes into his whole pitch about how Phil's is right there. You can come camp at his place. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm the guy over there building trails, and, and I could just see him tense up. And he wanted to yell at me, but he knew he couldn't. And uh, after that, I, I knew I wasn't probably going to see him out there yelling at me. And uh, so he was one of the person that profited from the new trails. There was another guy that had a whole petition thing going. And he, uh, he when it got all done, he, was try- he had been trying to sell his house forever. And he called up the BLM guy and, and wanted a map of Phil's World so he could put it on his site to advertise his house for sale as being next to Phil's World. and then. The last, the, another one, oh, this will be my last one, even though I could go on and on. Uh, he was, he was a, he thought basically a Starbucks was going to pop up on the corner by his house because there was a trailhead there with no parking access. And uh, he was going to town to try to get the road closed, to, to try and everything he could. Nobody could quite understand it, but what exactly he wanted. But another guy who wanted to live next to Phil's World, a mountain biker from Durango, he was looking for um, uh, property or houses for sale around Phil's world. And there was lots of stuff for sale. I thought about buildings, buying some properties, but didn't. But everything had sold out around, around there and there was nothing left. So he just decided to send out letters to neighboring houses to see if they wanted to sell. And uh, the guy who hated us and didn't want the trails ended up selling his house to this guy. And, uh, and now he's... Uh, He's right adjacent to the trails, just where he wants to be. And he let us park at his house, park the tool trailer to, to finish up the trails on the north end of Phil's world. And, and he's actually also has his own little business doing a, a Zuma bike ranch, doing a, a trail bike training and, and things like that. So, so those are just some, some crazy stories of, of dealing with neighbors. And, and there's been so many cases where even neighbors, we inter- we see them on the trail, ones that were opposed, and they're like, well, we didn't know it was going to be like this. This is great. Like, well, how, how, how did you envision a trail to be? <laughs> so, but yeah, so going through a process like that, you get to meet a lot of people who, who don't like you and then profit in the end, or maybe like you in the end, or maybe they still don't like you, but, but people are enjoying the trail expansions. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we've had a lot of similar stories, different, different scenarios, but you know, it's the typical, not in my backyard, you know, mentality type of thing. One of the things you've brought up several times, and I know what this is, but not all the listeners might, might know what this is, which is the BLM, which is the Bureau of Land Management. And the BLM, at least the way I view it, is probably the most proactive government agency when it comes to recreation. And we don't have, I, I, well, I did some searching yesterday. Apparently there's some BLM land in Wisconsin. I didn't know that until yesterday. <laughs> But we don't have much, there's not a lot of BLM land, we'll say, east of the Mississippi, right? It's, but it's really prevalent, you know, in the Western states. Why don't you talk about what the BLM is and how you partner with the BLM and what, you know, just what their, kind of what their mission is. Okay, yeah. The, um, well, we deal with both the BLM and the Forest Service and the state because part of Phil's world is on state trust land. So we lease it, the bike club leases it. And BLM 
kind of typically is more deserty area. And I think that maybe lends to, there's a lot of out of control trails and ATV use and just tracks everywhere. It's, it's just easier to do that on what's typically BLM land. So, uh, so I think some of what you're referring to might just be that, uh, you know, they're happy to get people on trails because people are just going everywhere out there and they can. And then the, the, you know, forest serves a little different situation. There's lots of trees and obstacles in the way. And, uh, but after working with both of them and, and I haven't, I've only worked with the local BLM office, um, and they've been great and they've been there. They, uh, oversee Phil's world. Our, our big challenge here is archeology, span which is everywhere. So we had to basically build a trail around <laughs> archeology. If, if you're out on Phil's world and, uh, and you're, uh, you're wondering why uh, the trail went this way instead of that way, there's probably something there and you shouldn't go check it out. <laughs> but when I was building the trail, I would kind of, you know, I'd, I'd see that and I'd go be curious and I wonder what's over here. Sometimes it'd be a rusty pile of cans, sometimes not, sometimes something you wouldn't even see. So the, the BLM is, they have their recreational guy who was, who was, who I was dealing with and he really took on the project. He, um, he, I mean, if it wasn't for him, it, it would have been a lot longer to, uh, to get out there and to get the, the Phil's World Trail expansion approved. One thing I see is, uh, you know, the, the clubs that are able to raise a lot of money can pay all the ologists to get out there and look at everything. And it really speeds things up. And that was probably one of our biggest issues, taking 15 years to get this done. But I, uh, I still remember when uh, Jeff Christensen is his name. He, he, I was out riding in Crested Butte and he calls up and I hadn't heard from them. I mean, it'd been eight years since we uh, did our proposal and we'd, we'd see him out there around town because it's a small town, see him at the pub. And, uh, but he called me and he's like, Hey, let's get this going. And uh, like, wow. All right, let's go. <laughs> and uh, he got support from, uh, you know, from all of his peers. And uh, it's an advantage. He was into mountain biking and, and, and to some, some ways it's an advantage to have that. But um, in other ways it's not, I don't, because I think that they're under a uh, under a microscope, and so they have to make sure that they're not favoring um, any one group. And so, so I think it made the process a little bit more complicated. Same thing happened in the Forest Service, uh, but they tend to have the more desert. The BLM tends to have the more deserty areas, and so that's how Phil's ended up in there. Then on the uh, Forest Service side of things. So yeah, we had, we had that participation in the from the from the BLM and uh, ended up I ended up getting the Volunteer of the Year award for the BLM for Colorado and and beat out some some other great other people that had volunteered a lot of time. I mean, all I had to do was sit on an excavator for about six hundred hours, <laughs> and uh, and and then do a, a lot of other organization work. But uh, it, it was a great honor to get that, and I didn't even know it existed. But he called me up and let me know know that. But it, it was great to have somebody that, and seeing how much that he had to go through to get that project approved. And in our area, there are a lot of people that that don't want things to happen. So there was a lot of obstacles to overcome for both of our trail projects. And and seeing what some other places have gone through that didn't have any opposition, I'm like, wow, that was. No wonder you got it done in a year. Uh, we had so many people that uh, 
you know, for whatever reason, it, it, it was, some of it didn't even make sense. I was at a meeting and then there was a, I remember a lady that was part of this kind of group over in Durango and she couldn't even point to the map where the trails were going to be. She was just told to go and oppose it. And she did. And she had just moved to town and wanted to make friends and, and got involved in this organization. And so just a bunch of things like that. And, and, you know, like I said, these, the, in our experience, the neighbors, so there was all these obstacles to get fills expanded. And uh, we had an Eagle in there that we blocked about five miles of trails and Eagle nest, not actually an Eagle. It has to be uh, uh, not occupied for seven years. And it had been two or something since anybody's seen an Eagle in it. But uh, so there's all kinds of people that have to get involved in this uh, approval. And with the BLM, they have some of um, the ologists in, employed there. So they could do that themselves. And, and, uh, and have like the cultural reviews, um, the wildlife reviews. Uh, wildlife was our biggest obstacle by far. And, um, and also with the Forest Service, uh, we've had, uh, um, they have, you know, the archaeologists on staff too. It just that they have a lot of things to do. And, and uh, to get somebody to take, to be able to put in that effort and get all those people involved in your project that you want to do takes quite a bit. And I think we were successful because we went into it with an attitude that how can we help you get this done? Not, hey, we're paying our taxes. You guys need to get this done for us. <laughs> and uh, we had proven ourselves by doing trail work and, and we didn't make, you know, the trails that had been done weren't crazy out of control things that didn't make any sense that 5% of the locals did work on. They they ended up adopting the trails that, that we had and uh, and then eventually approving our new trails. And I think a lot because we had built a rapport and they they knew we were going to follow through with uh, if they approved it if they and, and seeing how much work they had to go through. I can see why they really want to make sure somebody's going to kind of follow through because to get it done and then not have somebody to build it. But I, th I haven't met a mountain biker yet that wasn't happy about something new. So. Yeah, a lot of participation, getting people out there to help build the trails. Yeah. I'm going to deviate from the topics that I'd emailed you into a topic that I actually can't believe I didn't email to you, which is planning. <laughs> planning is, you know, I think every one of these success stories, whether it's your success story in Dolores and Cortez or wherever, typically comes with a pretty good plan. You know, it's whether you're trying to show it to the government agencies or the neighbors or whatever, that planning part is, is important, you know, or you're trying you know, we've had really good success where I live. And I think a lot of other places have too, where that plan allows you to show funders what you can actually fund, like what they're, what they're going to fund. I mean, you know, and so you can get potential donations and large donations based on really good plans. You know, what has your experience been with the planning end and and how has that helped you guys push this forward? Well, we've learned quite a bit in the planning. And there's one key thing that I'll point out here that I have seen a mistake that we made, and I've seen it in other organizations, is when there's not, there's not a really an extensive manual on how to propose a trail to the public land agencies. I mean, they probably have a manual on how to go to the bathroom in the woods under a tree, but they don't have anything about how to propose a new trail. and so. The mistake that we made that I've seen a lot of people, other people make is, you know, we, we go out and kind of look at the general area and think that a trail 
would be great here. So we're kind of walking the least line of resistance to make it through. And that's our GPS. And we, we hand it in and assume that somewhere down the line, we're going to like fine tune it or, or, or adjust it or do something. And, and uh, I've seen it happen to us and I've seen it happen to other people that that was what got proposed and you cannot deviate from it more than whatever it could be 40 feet could be a hundred feet. And that's an interesting difference between the uh, BLM and the forest service, the BLM, we had to deal with length limitations, but we could deviate as long as we didn't go into archaeological sites. But the Forest Service, we could not deviate, which kind of roped us into a, a kind of a smaller area than we thought we were going to be. I mean, fortunately, it worked out, but we had one particular spot that uh, after the fact, the, um, there's these just really cool rocks. I don't know how we never saw them there. You can see them on Google Earth. And uh, it was a thousand feet away from the trail and we're, uh, well, that, we want to see the trail go through here. And uh, so that's our last thing to build at Boggy Draw. And it's been a year and a half. And hopefully we're for them to review the, the route that we wanted. And uh, hopefully we'll get to do that in the spring here. <laughs> but uh, that was a, a challenge to, to deviate from that original um, route that we had proposed. So, yeah, the the planning. I mean, of course, everybody's pretty happy about going and dreaming up new trails, but to figure out in the beginning when you maybe don't even have that, that much trail building experience to, to, to plan a route that's going to be sustainable and, uh, and, and, you know, make it through a hillside. Maybe if you're going to build it with a machine or not, how the best way to go. I mean, you just don't know these things in the beginning. And then you're, and these clubs with volunteers are sending in, uh, you know, the proposed GPX that they walked and you know, maybe they walked a goat trail thinking really the trail would be down below that ends up maybe coming back to haunt them or to make the product project a little bit more difficult in the case of the BLM where we were limited on, um, we couldn't go 10% over our, uh, our, uh, proposed route when there was, there's a canyon we had to go through and it required a bunch of switchbacks and it was covered with Oak brush. So, you know, I kind of walked what, I thought the trail was going to go, but in the end, it was about half as many switchbacks as we really needed to make it rideable. And, uh, and I didn't even know about the limitation of the 10% until things were said and done, but we had to uh, lose some trail in some other areas. So, so my thought was the next time I do this, I'm going to make twice as many switchbacks on the, even if I have to drag points on the GPX file. So those, those are some challenging challenges that uh, we kind of learned along the way. One other thing as far as planning that would have been nice is, uh, you know, we went through and spent a bunch of time figuring out our routes and then we submitted them. And then the, the public land office comes back with, well, these are all sensitive areas right here. I'm thinking, well, if you knew we were working over here, it kind of would have been nice to have that, you know, because we, we would have tried to go around these areas, but, you know, made twice as much work because we had to go back out. And and I realize that that you know they have a lot of especially with the archaeology there's a you know they don't want to publicize where things are at but uh, when you're w working with user groups is that's that's probably a challenge for them is who to who to give the information to and not but uh, that would have been really helpful to have that and would have saved a lot of time but as it was we 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 did it the way we thought it uh, the best route would have been and then we had to go back and change it to get around hundreds of, of uh, archaeological sites and eagles and other things. So 
yeah, planning, planning was, uh, was a learning experience. And, um, we did some IMBA classes and things like that initially. So we learned how to pin flag and, and, uh, do those kind of things. It was, it was a long process and I'm, I'm a lot wiser now than I was before. And I wish I had known some of them, but, uh, some of those things that would have saved some time. Yeah. Well, that leads me into one of my newer, most favorite questions that I ask people. And some people don't like this question. <laughs> and that is uh, famous failures. And that doesn't mean famous in the, in the sense that like it made the news, but maybe famous in your mind or something that really, you know, stuck out as a good learning experience. You know, a lot of these can be humorous too, <laughs> you know, and, and I'm, I'm guessing because most people who have a lot of success have also gone through a lot of trials and tribulations and you've had a lot of success on multiple business fronts. Is there anything, anything that sticks out to you as something, you know, you, you really learned from aside from the planning that we just talked about with trails and this could be anywhere within your, your avenue of business. Wow. Okay. The, yeah. I don't know. I have too many on the business side. <laughs> I, I can talk about some uh, funny things that happen on a, the trail end. Yeah, I guess I don't know if I classify them as giant failures, but uh, before when we were first starting out with the trail, building trails, we did have some state trust land that we were able to just build our own trails on and, and do it the way we wanted. And when I started out, just a little side note, my uh, my gauge on whether or not a hill was too steep was uh, was whether I could ride my single speed up it. That was it. If I thought I could, then the hill had to. It was probably fine, but. Uh, at the beginning, I mean, we didn't pin flag. We didn't, we didn't know any of those things. And, uh, we went out to go build, uh, build a new trail on, uh, on the state trust land. And I'm kind of in the front guiding people. And basically I guide them completely in the wrong. We built the trail completely the wrong direction. And I had to turn everybody around, cover that back up and get going the other way. And, uh, of course, ribbon flagging would have helped with that. And I don't, I don't remember, maybe we missed it or something, but that was, that was kind of a funny thing that happened there. Yeah. On another note, I guess just building trails more recently with, uh, with, uh, equipment, there's always challenges, you know, on steep hillsides and, and, uh, yeah, I was building a trail that, uh, had to go around this really big rock and it was kind of on the edge of a steep hillside. And I thought there was adequate support there for the machine, but uh, it, it kind of started to slough off and I'm like, Oh no. And so, uh, so I was like, what am I going to do here? And there happened to be this kind of balancing rock up next to me. And I went up and pushed that thing off. I mean, it was, it couldn't have been more perfect. Pushed that thing off and it fell just right in the right place to where I could drive the excavator up forward on it. And, uh, and then ended up just building a wall and doing all this work to get the excavator out of there. That was a, a missed catastrophe, I guess, but you always got to have good stable ground when you're using a piece of equipment. So it's, uh, it's handy to, to realize things are happening when, uh, when you start to kind of, you know, slough off the edge a little, you better take care of it before getting in too far. So luckily I've had, that's about the worst thing, but, uh, yeah, that's, I don't know, I guess I could go on and on, but, um, well, let's go into big loop trails and some of the places you've built outside of, outside of your, your hometown. Yeah. The, so, um, I was excited to be able to work on a trail system down in Arizona by Mesa called Hawes. And uh, it's a place that as long as I can remember going down to Arizona, I really enjoyed riding there because it was just kind of a, 
a renting like a mountain bike specific homegrown area to ride where it was technical rocks and uh and uh just just a cool place it was it was it was hard to get to and then they built a big a highway and down in the phoenix it was the 202 went out and almost adjacent to it within five minutes of it so it used to be a challenge getting out there um but there's a local club there the haas trail alliance and uh and they they looked to the mountains that are right next to this uh homegrown trail system that's been there for at least 20 years and there were there were some kind of renegade trails but not really rideable by most people and a lot of hike a bike and uh I think there was an element of of mountain bikers that did enjoy them and maybe didn't want to see more people up there riding on on new trails but uh but they looked to this whole side of the top of the mountain and the other side of the mountain that uh that uh didn't see much traffic except for where uh there was kind of a downhill area that had also been there as long as I can remember with all kinds of gap jumps that the kids from town came out and built berms and gap jumps. And at one point uh, the forest service had gone out and plowed all these things down and then they built them back up. But uh, so these kids for years, maybe I don't know, however long tw- it's been there for at least 20 years, were pushing their bikes up the hill and then riding down these jumps. So, so this Haas trails Alliance looked over there and they, they proposed um, trails and raised money and they actually paid all the the reviews that needed to be done and this is tonto national forest but it's not anything that people would picture as a national forest it's got swaros and and uh just a sonoran desert but they got these trails approved and and i just ended up being able lucky enough to go out there and contribute to build the trails out there and, and i enjoyed going down there in the winter time i'm a big skier but you know, to go out there and ride my mountain bikes and uh, build trails in the desert. That was great. But uh, what it did was it really opened up these climbs to make, uh, made some rideable routes up on top and then a bunch of fun downhills. It was, I got to be creative and banked corners, jumps and things like that. And it really, the parking lot I showed up in to, to unload the trailer had like hardly anybody, maybe one or two cars in it. By the time I was done, that thing was overflowing and and uh, people were out, you know, going crazy on the trails. And uh, and one of the highlights was, you know, I saw so many kids out there. I did make a trail over to their top of their downhill, their traditional downhill area. So they didn't have to push their bikes up anymore. But I also built a trail up higher than that, which which really required them to get more into like a cross-country climbing thing. And uh and so it was cool to see they, they weren't on their phones. They were out there riding their bikes. And uh, there was a bunch of young people that uh, it was that was just a highlight for me to see them able to do that. And it kind of opened up that area for them to uh, to get up there. And, and they built more jumps up on the, the other. I mean, I don't think I got done with the one trail. It was a week later. They're out there building jumps off to the side. But uh, that, that was a really cool place to go participate and uh, contribute to. Another one was just upriver here uh, in the mountains where, where where I was talking about earlier, where we had to ride up roads to come down any of the single track. And it's uh, there was a trail up there that's really close to the Colorado Trail from our river valley. And for a long time, we've been trying to get a trail to go up to the top that's rideable so we didn't have to go up the roads. And just finally, the Rico Trails Alliance, who was, got a, was established up there, they took on the project and ended up getting it approved and funding it. And they, they paid for me to go up and, and build this trail. And it was, everything about it was epic. 
it, it was really remote. So it, I'm up by the Colorado Trail, 10,000 feet. And I'd go in, I'd drive half an hour from my house on pavement. Then I'd drive half an hour up the mountain on a graded road. And I'd unload a motorcycle and ride 45 minutes to get to the machine to build. And uh, so, so it, was a, it was a long day. And if I tried to ride in from the bottom, that was like a two-hour bike ride, that trying to haul gas and, and things like that. So uh, I couldn't take the motorcycle in from the bottom. But uh, so anyway, we got that approved right at the end of last year, right in time for it to dump snow. I'm so glad I got the machine out of there because I had to get it back up the, up the hill to 10,000 feet and uh, load it up and get out on that dirt, that, that kind of four-wheel drive-ish road. Those are some other projects, just a, just a few that I've, I've been able to contribute to. And, and uh, really what happened was uh, with Big Loop, um, after building and doing all the volunteering and building the local trails at Phil's World and um, Boggy Draw, people just really like the trail. And they're like, hey, can, can you come build one for us? And uh, like, well, this isn't right next to my house. I'm going to have to charge for this. <laughs> and uh, so to, to, to get on it. And it's surprising how expensive it is. I mean, things that surprise me and I've, I've had a big business before, but like the insurance is, is, is really high compared to other businesses I've had. But, uh, so, you know, people came to me and wanted, uh, wanted me to build trails. So I kind of spun off the map business to big loop trails and, uh, and that's how I getting around building other trails around for other people. And my angle really is just that, um, I take on I do it kind of like what I learned to do locally with the Phil's World and, and uh, Boggy Draw, where I worked with volunteers. Um, the, the machine does the heavy lifting. If there's a great place, it'd be better to be hand built. Uh, you know, I use a tiny machine. I try to kind of work around rocks instead of, uh, you know, tearing them out and making a mini road. Um, if there's a place that it's better to be hand built, I try to get around it. The uh, clubs do the finish work and uh, it saves them money. And you know, all these clubs, they're trying to raise money and get grants. and. Uh, and I just work alone. I don't have a crew, so uh, so it, it works well to do it like, do it like that. But uh, you know, it's a pretty it's a pretty specific niche. Yeah. Well, you just and you hit on something that's super important, which is you're still you're still integrating the volunteers, you know, and that creates a sense of ownership, which is super important, yeah. and it creates its its own sense of community. Yeah, and, and people um, like we just built a trail up from Dolores to link up to to ultimately link up to our boggy draw trail system and that was a unique experience for us because town owned part of the property we had to go to the town board and and get it all approved then it had to go through three pieces of private property they were like oh how is this going to work you know because we can't go in the right away it's this really really steep hillside and uh but we got the community involved and the and we got the people to do easements and one of the we were really worried about one of them because they're in California, they hadn't even been here for 15 years. And they were a really important one because if we didn't get through their property, we, none of the other easements would have done us any good. So, and then further up the hill, we had a guy buy, buy a piece of property that's a huge mountain biker. We didn't know that at the time. We're like, well, it'd be great to go through this one. We don't even know who owns it. Suddenly, the guy's building his house show up to help at trail work one time while we're building this trail. And, <laughs> and it turns out I knew his son from single speed racing. And so he, he ends up, he's doing an easement. Um, but yeah, we're getting this uh, trail going up the hill. It's, it's, it was just a huge thing for community and to get people out there who, um, I mean, it's almost all mountain bikers, but, but other like the running group from the high school that is where the trail starts. Uh, the uh, track running team, they came out and helped. Uh, I mean, we hauled 
three water heaters, uh, close to 50 tires, I think, Swick of volunteers pulled out of there and uh, they were devoted to it and cutting the oak brush. It, it was just a huge, great community project and, and people were really proud of it in town. Yeah. Speaking of communities, and this is another thing that I didn't have in our topics and I can't believe I forgot to put in there because I always ask this question. Are there any communities that you really like to travel to that maybe is like something you do annually or just something you've been to maybe even once and it's like on your hit list of a place you have to go back to? Well, um, you know, it's funny because I, I talk about the Haas people again that I really liked that community there that they, they were just it's they were tight. And they uh, even though it's next to a huge metropolitan area, uh, they just love that place. And, and it's, you know, it's a part of their lifestyle. And uh, it was it was and the kids out there. That was just that's a really cool place to go visit. And let's see. I like Crested Buttes. I was one of my favorites. Um I haven't been there since COVID because I, th- I think it's really getting crowded up there. But uh, I'll have to get back up there again this 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 spring or this this summer. Um, but I really like that community, and uh, just they seem tight. And there's a lot of mountain bikers, and they do a lot of trail work and uh, have a lot of volunteers. I've gone up there and volunteered on several occasions, and, and been impressed with how many people show up to 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 build the trails and maintain the trails. So I I guess that's kind of one of my ratings for a great community is people willing to go, you know, volunteer for this stuff. Yeah, for sure. Well, anything you want to close this on? Well, um, yeah, the, I guess I'll just, uh, just know a little story when I've been out with, I, I take my daughter out sometimes. I, I, I really, uh, sometimes I have to pull teeth to take her out to pin flag trails <laughs> and, uh, you know, she's out there and one time, you know, we're pin flag and she's getting all impatient. Ah, let's hurry. We got to get back. And uh, I want to go. I'm like, and I'm putting in pin flags. And I'm like, you know, right where I put this pin flag, there's going to be thousands of people that go right here. I mean, maybe 10,000 people. I don't know, but I want to make sure that somebody has their smile on their face uh, right here and put the pin flag in the right spot for that and, and do my best to make them happy. And, uh, so that's why I'm taking the extra time to do that. And, uh, and she thought that was pretty funny and maybe she'll remember that when she gets older and take it to life. Yeah, for sure. And that's, it is true. And our trails do, they do put a lot of smiles on people's faces and that's, you know, that's why we do what we do. Right. Yeah. You know? And so, well, Sean, as usual, it was awesome. It's good to meet you. I've never, you know, this, this interview kind of came about, I think it was one of your, it must've been another person from your club that that actually directed me towards um, getting your wife on for an interview for your local club. And then that diverted into you. And it's just these interviews that just kind of come about organically like that are awesome. I appreciate that. It's an honor. This will be the relaunch of the trail (laughs) effect because this will be the first episode off of mountain bike radio. Mountain bike radio has been awesome because it created a built in audience right out of the gate. But as everything in life, it's sometimes you got to pivot and this is going to be our pivot. We're glad I got to be involved in that. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. This has been great. I appreciate it. And if you're in the area, let me know. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for listening. Links for the various topics discussed on the show can be found in the show notes. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing the shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, please take the time to leave a rating and a review wherever you consume your podcasts. 
This podcast has been made possible by Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. If you have ideas on future communities or people to feature in Trail Effect, please don't hesitate to reach out by emailing evolutiontrails at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.